Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name's Stuart and it's my privilege to be the minister here. This week our service is led by Yvonne Hamilton who is one of our elders and also our local worship leader. So we're delighted that she is able to join us today. I hope you enjoy her message. Reading our scripture today will be Yvonne's son Blake and later on our prayers will be led by one of our elders, Lisa Cameron. I hope you enjoy the service. John chapter 20 verses 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Have you ever missed out? and a really big and important event, but known someone who was lucky enough to be there. How did you feel? Did you feel happy for them? Did you grill them for every bit of information you could in order to capture the experience through them? Or did you avoid them for a while, or even avoid talking about the event completely? Feign disinterest in the whole thing, hide your disappointment and secretly feel jealous of them. In today's reading, that's exactly what happens to Thomas. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel sorry for Thomas. Why? Because in reality, Thomas is no more sceptical than the other disciples whose hopes had been dashed by the crucifixion. Even Mary Magdalene had repeatedly complained. They've taken him away and I don't know where they've laid him. She thought that Jesus was still dead right up to the moment he said her name in the garden. And when Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see for themselves, they walked away scratching their heads. None of the eleven really believed that Jesus was alive, as far as scripture tells us. All of them were filled with doubt, even after Mary had come back to say, I have seen the Lord. Thomas is no more sceptical than you and I are at times either. If I said to you that last night while I was eating my dinner, 
Jesus appeared. What would you think? Well, you'd either think I'd had a few too many glasses of wine or I was completely mad. You wouldn't believe me, just like I wouldn't believe any of you if you were to make the same claim. Because I would want to see it with my own eyes. We often hear the phrase seeing is believing, don't we? Seeing is believing is a theme that runs throughout John's Gospel. Come and see weaves its way throughout the story John presents. We find it in the first chapter when Jesus meets the first disciples who've been following John the Baptist and they ask where he's staying. Come and see, he says. A few verses later when Philip invites Nathaniel to meet Jesus, Nathaniel asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. Then the Samaritan woman at the well runs to tell her neighbours, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And when Jesus arrives four days too late in Bethany, he asks Mary and Martha where they've buried Lazarus. Come and see, they tell him. In fact, we find some form of the word see more than 20 times throughout John's Gospel. And seeing means everything from physical sight to full understanding. But Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to his friends. So is it any wonder that Thomas is sceptical? Is it any wonder that Thomas has doubts? After all, seeing is believing. And Thomas didn't see Jesus. Where was Thomas, I wonder? Why was he not with the rest of the disciples on that Sunday evening of the resurrection? We're told that the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So could it be that Thomas was more afraid than the rest, so afraid that he hunkered down in the safety of his own home rather than venturing out? Or was he in a mood? Was he disappointed with how things had turned out that weekend? After all, this man Jesus, who he had given the best part of three years of his life to, hadn't turned out to be the saviour he'd set himself up to be. Perhaps Thomas was angry at Jesus and even at himself for believing such things and getting his hopes up. And maybe he was grieving, or just weary. What an emotional roller coaster those last few weeks must have been. It's possible that he just didn't have the energy to put on his cloak and sandals again and trudge out into the dark to another meeting. Who knows? But whatever the reason for him not being present, Thomas missed out big time. Only when the other disciples told Thomas that Jesus was alive again and they exclaimed, we have seen the Lord. His reaction wasn't one of wonder and acceptance, was it? Instead, there is human response of honest doubt. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You can almost see Thomas shifting his eyes and folding his arms and raising his eyebrows and saying, Really? How gullible can you guys be? You're all in denial. Jesus is dead. We saw it with our own eyes. And maybe he thought that they just imagined it. After all, their nerves would have been shattered, their hearts full of sorrow, their minds full of confusion. It's no wonder they weren't able to see and think clearly. However, despite his feelings and apparent unwillingness to believe his fellow disciples' claims, Thomas makes sure he is present the next time they all meet again. I wonder why. Was it just that he could manage to make this meeting or 
Was it that he was scared that he might miss out on something again? And what happens when they do meet? Jesus graciously comes, meeting this doubting disciple exactly where he's at. No harsh judgement, no shaming, just a gentle challenge to check out his doubts. Stop doubting and believe. And he did. Because of his overwhelming doubt, historians and scholars have been rather harsh in their evaluation of Thomas. We too might be disappointed in what would appear to be a lack of faith on Thomas's part. I think it's a bit unkind that he has gone down in history as Doubting Thomas. In one sense, this title is accurate. He did doubt that Jesus had risen, but he did do something about his doubt. He was honest about his doubt. He said he needed proof. He needed to actually see Jesus and his wounds to believe in the resurrection. Thomas, who had been doubting Thomas for one week, makes a profession of faith. He kneels before Jesus and says, my Lord and my God, and so becomes believing Thomas for the rest of his life. And yet, whether we admit it or not, and many of us who are so faithful, there exists a bit of doubting Thomas. For many of us are more like Thomas than we would like to believe or admit. We too have our doubts. There are times when we may doubt that God cares for us and loves us. We may doubt our salvation. We may doubt that the resurrection took place. We may even doubt the very existence of God. We do not deny any of these. But we doubt. We want to believe. But we also wonder. What if? What if God doesn't really care all that much about me? What if salvation is not really possible after all? What if Jesus did not rise from death, but remains buried in some unmarked and forgotten tomb in Israel? What if God doesn't exist? Perhaps the reasons that so many of us look down on Thomas and describe him with such harsh words of doubt and failure and unfaithful is because when we see Thomas, we see a reflection of a part of ourselves. A part that we don't like. A part that we wish was not there. Can we honestly say that we have never, ever, at some point in our lives, felt some twinge of doubt creeping up in our thoughts? How can we believe in a God that we can't see? If God does exist, why do bad things happen to good people? What if there is no eternal life? We all have doubts at one time or another, about one matter or another, and the way most of us deal with doubt is to suppress it. We ignore it and refuse to admit it to ourselves, and we certainly refuse to admit our doubts to others. As if dealing with some hideous crime or some embarrassing mistake, we hide from others any evidence of our doubt, and we wear a mask of faith, and we pretend to believe without question. After all, what kind of Christian would we be if we admitted that our lack of faith had resulted in doubt? But we make a mistake by dealing with doubt by suppressing and ignoring it. Is God real? Did Christ rise from death? Is it true? What if it's not? Denial and suppression is not the way to deal with our doubts. When we treat doubt by ignoring it, we become like the man who feels a sharp pain in his arm and his chest 
but refuses to make an appointment with the doctor to check it out. Ignore it, and maybe it'll go away. We feel the doubts. We're disturbed by the haunting questions about God, Christ and the Holy Spirit. We feel doubts and yet our response is to ignore it. Maybe the doubt will go away. But the doubts never quite go away. They remain. If we are hard on Thomas, if we look down on him, maybe it's not because he, like us, felt the pain of doubt. Maybe we look down on him because he, unlike so many of us, had the courage to face his doubts head on. I think that there are a number of things we can learn from this passage. And the first and most important thing we learn is the importance of honesty in our faith and in our doubt. Jesus doesn't condemn Thomas for doubting. He responds directly to his doubt. Doubt, lack of faith, is not a sin. It's part of growing up in faith. What is a sin is to have doubts and questions and not to do anything about them or to fix our beliefs so firmly in certainty that we close down any possibility of learning more or seeing things from a different perspective. If the story of Thomas teaches us anything, it's that faith and doubt can and must live together. One of the other things the story of Thomas teaches us is that we shouldn't label people and categorise them. As I said, Thomas was doubting Thomas for one week. But then he encountered the risen Lord and became believing Thomas. He remained believing Thomas for the rest of his life until he was martyred for his belief. And yet we still always refer to him as doubting Thomas. We have a tendency to do that with others, don't we? We do it with celebrities, with politicians. We do it with friends and family because of one incident, one mistake, one failing. We label them and though they may change, they may move on. In our minds we make them retain the label we once gave them. We have to allow people to change and accept that people do change. Finally, we have to remember that asking questions is great. Asking big questions about big issues is fantastic. Questions are how we learn and grow. Remember that wonderful scene in John's Gospel, chapter 14, when Jesus was talking about leaving the disciples one day? He said, you know the way to the place that I am going. I imagine them all nodding in agreement without really understanding what Jesus was actually saying. The one with the courage to ask the question they probably all wanted to ask was Thomas. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas asked. This question led to Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, follow me, live the way I live and the kingdom will come. Imagine for a moment if Thomas hadn't asked the question. Jesus might never have said this. As we reflect in the story of believing Thomas, let's be honest about our faith and about our doubts. Let's learn to live respectfully with people who have different faith and different doubts to our own. Let's not categorise people, let's allow others to change and let's rejoice in questions. 
because questions are blessings that can help us grow in understanding and in faith. Amen. Thank you.
Lord God, the world is full of people with questions, and we have questions too. And so we bring some of these to you today, looking for answers, and yet at the same time knowing that we already have many of them. Why is it that children in some parts of the world go to bed hungry? Why is it that people still live in fear and we still war against each other? Why is it that some seem to have more than they need while others struggle to get by? Why is it that some have privileges of sex and colour and others cannot be heard? Why is it that we have allowed a climate crisis to develop when it was needless and reckless? Why is it that a person's God-given sexuality causes so much pain and hurt? Why is it that some people have bodies that are troublesome and others not? Why is it that power corrupts? Why is it that our planet seems such an unfair place? Why is it? Lord, we do not expect answers to all of these questions. Perhaps in the honest asking of them, we find the answers within ourselves. Help us to understand better, to serve better, to love better, and in doing so, answer our own questions. Here is now, Lord, as we pray together the words which your Son, Jesus Christ, taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Go with the blessing of God, creator, source and spirit with you this day and every day. Yeah.